Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon. This week's Clubhouse with Eric Anders Lang is brought to you by Ogio. Did you guys know that Ogio just came out with their 2018 Cirrus stand bag? It's the lightest bag that Ogio makes. It's as light as the blades of grass you check the wind with. Yet it doesn't sacrifice important storage space. Seven pockets, six of those are zippered. It includes an insulated pocket for that important water bottle you need for four hours on the links. Ogio's new Cirrus bag is a must, especially as we approach holiday season. And if you use the code THECLUBHOUSE all together at checkout, you instantly save 20%, 20% on your order. If only that worked for strokes off my score right now. Check out Ogio.com. You'll be pleased with the new Cirrus bag. Trust me. And also, if you haven't signed up for our Clubhouse newsletter, I just wanted to let you know what you're missing out on. Just this Wednesday alone, you missed unhappy LPGA players, Rory's lengthy rest, Tiger's prototype irons, a rant on backstopping, a sit-down with Lexi Thompson, Donald Trump's apparent 73 or so people are saying weekly features like how many days until the 2018 majors that might depress you, weekly odds, a must-DVR TV schedule, and much more. That's just Wednesday's newsletter alone. That's all the info you'd get in the morning in your inbox. All you got to do is sign up. The link to sign up is pinned atop our Clubhouse podcast Twitter account, at the Clubhouse pod. So do that right now. And I mentioned Eric Anders Lang. He, of course, is a document filmmaker in charge of Adventures in Golf. Really unbelievable. Season 2 is up. It is a must-watch. You can check out how he attempts to make a hole-in-one. You can check out his visit to an unknown golf course in Scotland, playing 72 holes at Bandon Dunes all on the same day. That all, of course, is brought to you by Scratch. And we went pretty long, a really, really fun conversation with Eric, one of my favorite people around the game. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Stay till the end as we talk a little bit about his documentary that he hopes comes out sometime early 2018 that I think is going to really, really be something golfers are going to love. And we welcome into the clubhouse a pal of mine, somebody that I've been excited to have on for quite a while, and I'm glad it's happening. Eric Anders Lang, second season of Adventures of Golf is up right now. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on the Scratch Twitter account. And if you're a fan of golf and travel and seeing stuff that you've never seen before, make sure you take a look at that. Mumbai, Compton, a prison in Louisiana was part of season one, and now season two will be out week by week as they start to roll. You can also follow Eric on Instagram, really all of his golf adventures, at Eric Anders Lang. And Eric, that is your intro. Welcome to the clubhouse. Thank you, Shane. Good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah. It's a great description. You know, I mean, if you like golf and travel and what was the third part? If you <laughs> just, like just uh, Generally having stuff. a good time. <laughs> well, you know, what, this, the thing that I've always appreciated about you, and I think you probably get this more, so it's almost annoying at this point, but I wouldn't say you're necessarily a traditional golf of a media person, of traditional golfer in, in really any sense of the word. I read that when you first started to take up the game, you hated it. You weren't really into it at all because, you know, you just hated all of the kind of bullshit around the game. And yet now you are, I would say, one of the lead voices of a generation that looks at golf not through the lenses of a Jordan Spieth or a Justin Thomas. You look at golf like this is a global sport that is played unlike most Americans play it. Yeah. Wow, that's a one. That's a really. That's a huge compliment. I think we should just end there. That's it. That's it. It was great having <laughs> you on the clubhouse, Eric. I'll, I'll talk to you later. So, I mentioned you said you hated the game. It, it's a popular opinion by people. I think when they first look at golf, what did you hate when you first saw it? I know your brother kind of pushed it on you a bit. What did you hate about golf that you now love? That's almost 180 degrees different than what you initially looked at. That's a really good question. Um, well, you know, here's the thing. When I when I first started playing golf, and I was only 30 or so, and, you know, like you said, I, I didn't like it. I, I had all these kind of built-up, preconceived notions about what I thought the game was. And, you know, to, that's an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, what did I hate that I've grown to love? Basically, you know, when I when I first developed, like, the addiction and the, and the golf bug, I – I literally had this big burning question in me, which was, can I actually play this game? Because uh, I assumed that every golf course was private. I didn't realize right. that there were public courses. And, you know, I would ask these questions. I'd say, well, what's the difference between private and public? How does it work, you know? And, um, you know, one of the things that I didn't like was private golf courses. 
Um, but now, now I love it. <laughs> the, the, you know, there's the 180. I, I understand it. It's, it's, it's crazy because you mentioned in a similar, I think it was the same interview with Golf WRX you did in April. You said that you noticed people in Scotland seemed a lot happier playing golf. You said that you felt like their demeanor in and around the game and after a round of golf was just a lot more jubilant than what you see with a lot of Americans. And it and it seems that this is almost the same thing. It's it's the public golf is a six hour grind, and the private golf is an amazing life if you can get to inside the doors. And it's really that that is a completely different you know approach and really lifestyle around golf. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. It's a really interesting subject, actually, and I, and I haven't really thought about it much because, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a blue-collar guy. You know, I grew up in a house where we didn't have any memberships anywhere. You know, we went to the public pool, and, you know, it just, it just was a very basic middle-class life. And, and so then to, you know, come into my adulthood and, like, golf, I was like, I'm only going to play public courses because that's my, that's my blood, you know. But then, you know, I think – I think actually the first private course I ever played was the course that I ended up joining years later in L.A., Wilshire. Um, you know, but, but it was this experience where I was like, felt very uncomfortable and, you know, with the belt, the collar, I don't know, it's, my shirt keeps coming untucked when I swing. I don't, I got to tuck it in every time. And, you know, and then the experience of going on to play some of the jewels of our planet, these private golf courses, you know, um, you know the top 100, so many of them are private. Um, it, it became a real, like, um, it's just a real joy and a, and a, and a pleasure to be able to do that. Now, is that, is that it? No, but I didn't think I would like, I didn't think I would really enjoy kind of getting on the inside of that, um, you know, real elite world. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, I always find with American private golf is certain courses, you feel like one of the guys. And then certain courses, you feel like they cannot wait for you to leave. You know, they can't wait for you to pull that valet ticket out of your wallet and get out of here. And it's, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I've lived in Scotland for a bit. I've spent a lot of time over there, and I'm with you. I mean, I love their approach and demeanor around golf. I just think that they really get it. They understand the game, and of course they should. They did create it. But it doesn't ever feel like that. You know, when you play the old course for the first time and you see all the action that happened around it and there's guys walking their dogs and there's cars driving in front of you on the first fairway and then you think about our equivalent to that as Augusta National and you can go out there, you can't bring your phone or you'll never be allowed in again. You know, you've, you've got to really be on your P's and Q's or you're going to get in trouble from this place. It's just a completely different feeling when you look at those two almost – opposite ends of the spectrum while they both host major championships yeah it's totally different i i just got back from ireland actually and i had the chance to play you know it's, it's unclear you know i had the chance to play some great courses and, and i and i can't really even tell which ones are private right. or public you know because because you're allowed on essentially you just you just there's smaller you know there's there's a there's smaller windows of tea times but and no matter what the course is though over there you're welcomed like really graciously by whoever it is, the, the pro shop, the starter, you know, other members. Whereas in, in America, when you show up, if you're not recognized, you're basically guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> well, at least me. I mean, I don't show up to a private club and look like a member. That's just a fact. <laughs> no knock on your not no knock on your outfits. It's just you just have a different approach, and that that is, I think, what is what has brought so many people towards you. It's 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 such a great line. I didn't know if I was playing a private course or a public course in Ireland. I got a chance to go play Royal Melbourne in Australia earlier this year, and it was like my number one bucket list golf course. And I got done playing, a member said. Hey, do you want to come have a drink? He didn't know who I was. And then we went and played the loop on the other course, on the East course, to go get a feel for what the President's Cup, quote-unquote, Rota looks like there. And it wasn't – they didn't want you to leave. I thought that was really interesting. So I want to get into Adventures of Golf to start. And we're into Season 2. You guys have finished Season 2, and you're rolling them out. And, I mean, the best place to, to see them is, is on the Scratch YouTube page, I'm assuming. And, I mean, these yeah. are these are eight, ten-minute vignettes of you visiting places that either – are golf courses we've never seen or heard of about or golf in areas that you wouldn't associate with the game of golf prisons Compton for goodness sakes where did the concept start and and who did you have to convince to allow you to fly around the world doing this awesome travel series 
Right. It, it, it's a really interesting origin, and I'll tell a, a version of the story that I haven't really told much, which is that uh, the the earliest part of it is, and we'll talk about the movie that I'm working on, Be the Ball, later, but originally when I was working on the movie, I saw it as kind of my version of golf, which is this kind of, you know, egalitarian experience, you know, and I had all these little stories that I had heard about that I wanted to go experience that would end up later becoming Adventures in Golf. So I had all these ideas and all this, you know, research done. I ended up changing the thesis of the film to be more focused on competitive athletes using meditation. So I didn't end up needing those stories. Um, And then in the process of making the film, uh, you know, about meditation and golf, I put out this um, fundraiser, you know, and we ended up raising like, you know, $70,000, which was amazing. And I made this fundraiser video, you know, the Kickstarter videos, you've seen them. And I made one and it was awful. And I was like, I was wearing a sweater and a collared shirt. And my, my uh, wife at the time was like, uh, this is awful. You need to just be yourself. And I was like, you know, I can't do that. What are you talking about? That's crazy. (laughs) You know, Um, golf isn't ready for that. And she was like, no, no, just wear a t-shirt and just be yourself and be funny. And I made this video and I had some clips from the PGA tour in there and I sent it out to everybody I know. And apparently my mistake was that I sent it to some people at the PGA tour (laughs) and I got, I got like a a couple emails back. One said, looks great. Uh, wish you the best. The other said, you're probably going to get a lawsuit. (laughs) And the other said, yeah. And the other said, do you want to work for us? We think you could help us speak to the new generation of golfers. And, you know, so I responded to the third one and I said, anything that sounds amazing. And so Scratch was just starting at the time. And um, Chris Wandell, who's done a lot of great things for the PGA Tour, basically said, if you could do anything, what would you do? Um, and I was like, wow, you know, I have all these ideas for this old project that I was working on about how people play golf all around the world. You know, how it's how it's a game that really is you know, experienced in a, in a human, you know, humans play golf. And so in the same way that architecture is not really a building, it's, it's actually a, it's actually an example of how humans live. I think of golf the same way. I mean, you know, wherever you are, that determines the golf that you'll play. So, um, it really became this wonderful opportunity to push that, you know, question to the edge and, and how far can we go with this? And, you know, I think we did really good on on uh, season one of really trying to pick places that had multiple, um, you know, examples of this. Whether it was, you know, like you said, in a prison, how do how do people play golf in a prison? What's that like? How do they play golf in a country that is so poor? Speaking of India, that that no one can play on the golf course. They they play in on a sidewalk inside of like you know the tiniest slum ever. So it really. It, it really just took off from there, you know, and, and Scratch TV, you know, really, I think, took a big risk in sort of, like you said, giving me money to do it. And, <laughs> Here's a uh, budget. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you know, it, it, it just was one of those things where as it was happening, I was just saying to myself, this is unbelievable because it wasn't supposed to happen. Over and over and over again, it was not supposed to happen. I wasn't supposed to be interested in golf. I wasn't supposed to be myself in golf. And I was essentially supposed to be, you know, being served legal papers. <laughs> and all of a sudden so, you get this job. I mean, it's 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 cool because, you know, you think like I, 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 I've been buddies with Matt Janella for a while. And people always say, you know, when I'm around him or, or they come up to him at a golf course, I always hear them say, man, I, I want your job. You've got such a dream job. And I look at what you've done with Adventures in Golf. And I'm 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 happy for you. I'm jealous at the same time because it's just such a cool experience. Were you able early on to just go to scratch and say, "Hey guys, I want to fly me and a crew to India." And what's the budget? I mean, was it a conversation like that? Did you have to lay out the whole season one? I mean, how did the process go once they said, "What you what do you want to do here? You can go do it." Right. Um, <laughs> well, there was quite a bit of back and forth there. <laughs> um, you know, basically, uh, the executive team at Scratch, which is, you know, owned by the PGA Tour, basically said, okay, Eric, we, we love this idea of Adventures in Golf. We think it's great. And here's what we have to, uh, you know, 
pay. And I was like, well, that doesn't really even get me to, you know, the outer edges of Los Angeles. Right. So It's just going to be 10 we, episodes of the Compton one. <laughs> 10 episodes in my house. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think, well, with season one, and, and I, I, th- this is to be totally honest, basically what happened was is we didn't have a lot of money. So what we did was we uh, – I'm not sure how honest to get here, but I'll try it. I'll try this. What we did was I basically didn't have a lot of money, but I really wanted to make this show the best it could be. I cared about it more than, you know, up until this point, anything, you know, because this, this was like – this was something that was going to be really interesting and fun. And I thought the idea of being on camera, totally something new to me, but I also was finding it really enjoyable. So basically what we did was from a production standpoint, we would, you know, I'm a director as well. And I make behind the scenes stuff and commercials and music videos or whatever. So whenever I would basically have a travel job, I would just tack on two days and I would shoot this, this show and we would do it and, a crew of five to eight people in like two or three days. And basically, um, you know, we would just figure it out as we went. I mean, right. you know, we, we, we planned as much of it as we could, but a lot of times the unplanned things turned out really the most powerful. And you see that in season two, we have the first episode we came out with was Askernish. And that was just, that was entirely unplanned. We were, we were expecting to have Monday off. And, you know, it was Sunday night. I knew that nobody was awake in America to answer my request. So I just <laughs> I just went ahead and authorized, <laughs> we're going to ask and it's going to cost this much money. And I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and say that we're going to do this because there was no other way to do it. And sure enough, it is definitely one of the crown jewels of the, both seasons, I think. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, there was a lot of there was a lot of kind of finagling and doing it. And, and to be to- totally honest, I lost money on season one. But I don't think in the end uh, I would ever count it as a loss. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and you mentioned the, the season opener of season two, which was one of my favorite things I've watched in, in golf ever. I just, I mean, I, I'm so obsessed with that idea of finding a lost golf course. And, and, and so I was going to ask you, I mean, I was going to ask you this a couple of times, but you, you hear of something and you just take a risk? I mean, is that how this goes? Because it seems like you are going a little bit from the seat of your pants. Like, hey, hopefully this is cool. I don't know. But it's not like you're driving down to Laguna Beach. I mean, this is a this is a hefty tow, I mean, with the crew and such. So when you hear about this stuff, how much quick research are you able to do about it, hoping that it's not a disappointment? Right. I mean, that started to grow as... Uh, the amount of planning and the amount of understanding of what we would actually need narratively to create a story. Um, we started to understand that more and more as we went on, because like I said, I mean, this is something I had never done. Like, like when scratch was like, we liked the idea of adventures in golf and we finally agreed on like what it would cost to do this. Then I was left with the huge problem of doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was an unknown for me, you know? Um, and actually our first episode, St. Andrews, we took eight days to shoot that. We had eight days in St. Andrews. And you know, one of my biggest sort of, um, you know, things that I wish were different in the world is that I wish these episodes were longer. There's so much material that doesn't make it and so many little threads. But, um, yeah, and then another opposite example is when we were in northern India and we played this military golf course, like, I did not have any go-ahead. I did not have any official thumbs-up that we would even be able to play this course or that it was open or that it existed. I had blog entries from, like, 2006 that said that this course was amazing and that a tourist got to play it. And I was like, all right, we'll just show up. I happened to get there with no no batteries. The batteries all were detained in India because of some type of, you know, whatever mistake that we made in, in packing them. And... And I got there on, like, National Military Day, so there was no military officer interested in taking me out to play golf. So it was, it was almost one of the biggest, you know, misses right. of, of any of the episodes. But, it, but in the end, that episode is really interesting because it's not about hitting, like, a flush eight iron onto, like, an island green. It's about being in a place and trying well, it's so, it, it it goes back to where you know there's a parallel in golf right now, and and it's it's getting more and more divided. And I feel like it's for so many years we were obsessed with professional golfers and the PGA Tour, and it was 
it was Nicholas and it was Tom Watson and it was Faldo and Norman and Phil and Tiger and now it's Rory and Spieth and Justin Thomas and then there's another crop. But there's also, it just seems as, as though the last, and it hasn't been many years, two, three, five years maybe, there's this growing interest from golfers who are saying, I don't really care about professional golf, but I love golf. And I feel like you have fit so much in that in that parallel because you're allowing people to see golf played in streets in you know in areas that you would have never imagined there was a golf course there where these people love the game as well and they don't watch a Jordan Spieth or Matsuyama or Justin Thomas they just see a ball and hit it and they get a thrill out of that love I loved when you went to that Himalayan golf course you know you guys just kind of up and went I mean you were like we heard about this course it looks unbelievable Let's go check it out, and you're going to go play and went and played one of the most remote places on earth. Yeah, that's another good example of literally we were we had a flight home, and I said, you know, I mean, we got we have just enough time to fly up to this random place and see it, and then uh, you know there was a hailstorm. I got leeches on me. I lost a drone. Um, You know, everything was going wrong, and our flight out was perfectly timed on this little flight where you know, you basically, the pilot is packing the bags and you're like, what is going on? And we almost missed our like 20 hour journey back home, which would have scratch TV would have been very upset about that. But, (laughs) but, you know, to go back to the, you know, it's interesting to, to look at what moves the needle in the last five years. You're totally right. I mean, now, you know, the, I think the best example of it is like the whole spring break, uh, SB2K kind of phenomenon, like, like that exploded. And I think because in some ways that has the same energy as Adventures in Golf does, which is that, hey, we're out here to play golf. We're not here to work golf. And we're not really interested in, you know, because, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but I would imagine most people out there are not playing private courses. And to be totally honest with you, my experience of joining Wilshire Country Club was totally out of the blue. You know, I, I was never, ever thinking of joining a club. Like, it just never even occurred to me. And then the opportunity presented itself to me in a way that was feasible, and I was like, yeah, I would like that. And now I feel more at home there than I do anywhere else. And it does sadden me that it's a private experience that's sort of reserved for the elite. And I and I have said multiple times to the chorus, I said, look, we should open up on Mondays for public play. And we should allow people to pay, you know, whatever, a couple hundred bucks or something like that. And just be able to experience this wonderful park, you know. And actually, did you hear the uh, – Malcolm Gladwell podcast about, yeah, about yes, golf. Yes, he opened opened open the season bashing us, but it was it was an interesting <laughs> take because the land argument he makes is true. I mean, the land that some of these yeah. courses are built on are billion dollar properties, but uh, I did I didn't I didn't love the fact that it was just LA based. I would have liked him to expand it a little bit more to some other cities, but I mean, you know, he he does propose a good point, and in that sense, it does show some of the good and the bad of the sport that you and I both love. Totally. Totally. And I think, you know, I mean, I just, I, I, I'm so excited to see how it expands and continues to develop over time because I think we're headed in the right direction. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think when I've seen in, in simply with golf course design and, and I, and I've been to some properties this year that, that are open to everyone and, and they're, you know, they're not cheap, but they're not expensive. They're, they're feasible, I guess you could say. And I, I played Sand Valley, which I know you just got back from in Wisconsin. And you play that golf course, and you can have a 15 handicap out there, and they might lose one golf ball. And it's fun. And then I played the yeah. black course down at Streamsong, the Gil Hans design that he just opened. And you can play 18 holes with a 15 handicap, and it's fun. And this word continues to keep coming up in my mind as I play some of these new places, is it seems like everyone got the memo at the same time, this should be fun first. Yeah. That's a good way. Yeah, fun first, exactly. I, I mean, that's it. Let's let's do more of that, you know, because I think, and that's one of the things that the movie sort of aimed at addressing, which was like, it wasn't just other people. It was me too. Like, I came to golf. I found it to be this amazing and wonderful game that was much more than a stereotype. But I also found that it was making me crazy like I just (laughs) wanted to hit the ball straight (laughs) and I was going nuts trying to do that um and and I think that that experience of feeling like you know just just feeling like I was making this house of cards and I saw a tornado 
on, on coming down the pipe. It was just, you know, and it would make me angry, to be totally honest. Like, I would get very upset on the golf course, and I did accidentally. It was not on purpose. I broke a golf club once, <laughs> and that was a revelation for me. Like, I need to change my head, right. you know, and and I think that's not only the movie kind of has one way of addressing it, which is like meditation and taking this game as like a real peaceful experience. But, but as we're talking about now, just the whole like way golf is um, absorbed in the community, like, you know, even as much as I hate Baba Booey, it does speak to what we're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to expand on that because I hate Baba Booey. I hate it too, but it does. Well, I think I think that the whole like yelling, <laughs> yelling at impact is, it's sort of devilish. Do you know what I mean? And I can identify with that. Not that I like it. I dislike it deeply. But there is an element to it that I think maybe Bill Murray would like if it wasn't so overdone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? For sure. I mean that that is that is my again. I've always said this about yelling, is. If it was funny or creative, I have no issue with it. As long as you wait till they hit, if you can yell something that makes me actually laugh, I will give you a thumbs up. I'll give you a high five. I'll probably even buy you a beer. But if you yell the same thing that's been yelled 85,000 times at a golf tournament the last five years, I don't understand how that is interesting. Actually, Justin Thomas was on the No Laying Up podcast, and he was talking about people yelling. And he was like, you know, I hear the same thing. A hundred times around every day he plays professional golf. He hears the same thing a hundred times around. And that's, I don't understand how he can deal with it mentally. It would drive me crazy. Yeah. I wonder if you can wear earplugs. I wonder if that's allowed. I, I'm sure it is. You, you should wear earplugs. Like you're working at an airport. You should just be able to be like, listen, I'm, t- <laughs> I'm blocking everything you guys do out. And uh, but I, I get, I get to a point where you're saying is it with, with the yelling, it's, it's almost like you have to have it because it's bringing in new people to a golf tournament that, they're out there, A, having a, a hell of a good time. You know, they're out there drinking beer and doing whatever. And while I don't want them to be cursing in front of a five-year-old who wants to get Jordan Spieth's autograph, if they're having a good time and taking in golf and they're taking pictures of it and sharing it socially and enjoying themselves, are we to say that's the wrong way to take in golf? We're just used to golf being taken in like the 1986 Masters. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you know, golf is this sport that's reserved for, like, pressed pants. I think is it's exciting to see a change and move into like, you know, all these other great sports don't have an issue with it. You know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, you know, it's like it's all very inclusive of this like arena of 30,000 people basically going there to get hammered and support their their home team. You know, and I think if there was a way for the problem is in golf is that you hear one if if everyone just was yelling all the time like at the Ryder Cup or at you know waste management it would be very different and and I mean I would be hard pressed to find a more exciting moment in golf than you know Patrick Reed and Rory so loud I mean how how do you like it would be interesting if there's a way of like directing people more towards like a, a way of making that more digestible because it is most people do detest the whole yelling at impact you know right um most most re- great if there most was a way quote to unquote that. true golf fans hate it yes you're, you're exactly right but they loved the screaming for rory and, and patrick so it's 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 interesting it's like it's like which one's right and which one's wrong and why are they different you know yeah yeah but that's it i mean i do i am a bit of like a uh <clears throat> you know troublemaker i guess you know and i've done you know so many things so i can kind of identify with that whole thing i've never done it i never will and i and i and if i met you and you said that you did it i would probably it, it would be a step down it's a it's a different culture coming in it's it's weird because i now listen i am definitely on the more traditional side of being a golf fan and a golfer but in the same breath all people talk about, and they've been talking about for five years, is how can we bring more people into the game? And the moment those people come into the game, it's like Happy Gilmore. You know, the guy, you know, go back to your shanties line. It's like all these people came in to watch Happy play, and they've got the beer helmets and the funnels, and it's awesome. And all the golfers out there hate it. You know, so it's like, what do you yeah. want? Do you want more fans, and do you want more people? Or do you want the same old fan, and you have to just accept the fact that there's not going to be a million people watching the sport? Right, yeah, it's, it's almost, it's, it, you're totally right, it's like a push-pull. It's like if you want people to do it, you just have to let them enjoy it. And I think that's kind of one of the hard things that golf is going to have to deal with, and I think that, um, 
just as time goes by, that's it, it's. I'm really interested to see how that changes. You know, it, it'd be funny to almost, um, you know, have some type of like, hey, uh, you know, what could you say? You know, what? How could you interpret golf differently in a way that you know still, um, you know, I don't know. Like, it, it'd be interesting if there's a way of saying like, of having almost like an awards for like most interesting way of interacting with a golf shot because I mean. I've seen Bill Murray play countless times and I've walked along with him and he is, you know, Pebble Beach and the AT&T had a lot of problems with him because he was basically pushing golf in a direction that they weren't comfortable going. Right. They've since left, and I don't know if you remember this, but they were, they were considering not allowing him at the tournament, um, you know, because he was a disruptor. And I think that, you know, that's something that you can do if you don't, see golf from the stereotype and from the identification of I am a golfer. You know, if you're just a person that likes golf, then you can essentially define it any way you want. And so, you know, I think, I think that we're going to see, see a lot happen with how that, you know, I mean, even with phones, like at first it was like no phones on the PGA tour. And now it's like, here are fan videos of Jordan Spieth holing out. Like the PGA tour is posting <laughs> videos. It was, it was like 18 fans. months. Yeah. It was like an 18 month <laughs> flip. It was so fast. So how is that going to change Baba Booey? It's going to change no matter what. We know that. And I think it could be. I think it could change in a way that's cool if we can adapt to it. Right. And, it, and, it's, a, and it's about, you know, listen, the waste management is successful because it's in a good place with good weather and they've accepted the fact that it's a party. Travelers Championship has done a little bit of the same thing. This is supposed to be an experience and an event and you come out and you make 18 like a grandstand. And make it fun, and it's and it's turned into a very very fun event. I mean, it's I would say it's the East Coast waste management. You know, people come down from Boston, and it's easy to get to, and it's an it's a, it's a not easy place to park. There's a lot of factors that go go into it, and I mean, I, I'm excited to see where it goes. I I'm glad that people are coming to the game. I'm glad that there's all these doors open, and I and I'm 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 not sure if I'm more on the side of hey respect the sport, damn it, or if I'm more on the sport that hey are on the side of you come and do and do golf the way you do golf, and that's. That's kind of on you. Like, I, I, should I be telling you how to cheer for a golfer if you want to yell? I guess, really. I mean, I've never really thought about it that way, but it's interesting. Okay, I want to ask you two questions about travel and adventures in golf. One is, what's the favorite course you've played during your adventures, and what's your favorite experience on the golf course? So two different things. Wow. Um, well, jeez. Uh, the favorite experience I think I had. So I, I'm a fan of something that I was recently introduced to. I didn't realize what it's called, uh, but it's called Type 2 Fun. Have you heard of this? No. Okay, so I didn't know what it was either. Someone was like, I'm into Type 2 Fun, and I was like, I don't think I can do that. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> I about. I have enough Type apparently, 1 Fun. <laughs> apparently Type 2 Fun is like, you know, um, you know, extreme adventure that's not necessarily pleasurable, but it creates a good story, you know, and you, and you sort of learn something along the way about yourself or others or humanity. So for me, the most fun experience I think I've had is in, a, in an upcoming episode. I, I'm not even allowed to say this, but I think I'll say it because the European tour just released a video of Eduardo Molinari trying to get a hole in one. Did you see that? Yeah, and, 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 you've, and this has been teased on y'all's stuff, so it's, it's been out there. I was going to ask you about this, so I'm glad you're talking about it. Right, yeah. So we did that. Uh, actually, we shot it on Valentine's Day, which was a very funny day to be. To you, be you guys, you guys did just just so if people haven't seen it, Eduardo Molinari hit 500 balls in a day for this European Tour uh, video and was seeing if he could hole it. I think he was 145 and he was hitting a nine iron, and so he spent all day basically on a par three, seeing if he could make a hole in one. And you're saying you guys did something kind of similar. We did the exact same thing. Not obviously. I I don't know when the European Tour shot it, but obviously their content's amazing. I really look to them with like a great level of respect. Uh, and so it was really interesting to see that they did it with a pro. And I'm not going to tell you what happened in their video because you should see it if you haven't seen it. It's it's really an entertaining video. Obviously, for Adventures in Golf, we did the same thing, and it's also really entertaining. I'm not going to say which one I think is better, but mine was definitely. Um, it was definitely one of the more interesting experiences I've had on a golf course because it was truly a test of basically insanity. Um, <laughs> I had almost the same setup. I had like 138, and I was hitting like – I had three clubs. I had a 7, 8, and a 9, and I was like trying to figure out whether I should try to squeeze it in and roll it up or like try to just zip it back. And I mean 
it drove me insane. Like I went completely insane. And I think a lot of times it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, you have this experience of making the episode and, and, you know, the idea and then the planning and then the actual experience of shooting it and being with the people. And then you have the experience of watching the edit and, or watching the finished video. And the whole in one episode is a great example of something that was, tremendously brutal to shoot like it was painful the episode itself is one of my favorites we've ever done um and so for me that's 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 one of the better experiences i've had and everybody laughs about it you know i've talked we didn't include it in the episode but there were great interviews with pro golfers ernie ells i said to ernie i said could you get a hole in one if you just parked up on a par three and he goes well i've had 60 hole-in-ones in my life, and I'm 60 years old, so it would take me about a year to get one. Right, and, and he has 60 holes-in-one. I mean, it's unbelievable. As a man who famously does not have a hole-in-one in his career and plays way more golf than most people, I can... Uh, what? I, oh, yeah, no, never made an ace. What? I, 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 uh, I have now... So I, I've tried to change the karma around on this. I don't know if this works or not. Of course, this is, a, this is, this is the most good, screwed-up thing I've ever done. I started a charity jar... And every time I play a round of golf and I don't make an ace, I put a dollar in the jar, and I'm going to donate the winnings, or I guess the jar, to a charity of my choice the moment I actually make a hole-in-one. And again, I feel like this is like the Friends episode where they talk about the bee stinging somebody and where's the good deed. I feel like, is this a good deed really if I'm trying to like sway the universe to allow me to have one? But, you know, we've played golf together. And, and you are, I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a very, very polished golfer. I don't know if people really know that, but you've got a hell of a golf Thank swing you, that can really play. But... All right, so you said your favorite experience. Is there a golf course that you feel like in 30 years you'll look back on and go, I cannot believe I got a chance to play there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this obviously changes a lot because, you know, our memories are so, um, you know, fickle or whatever. And, and, and I, think, I think for me, most of golf is not really – I'm not a golf course reviewer. I love, I love playing different golf courses. I typically am, have the unpopular opinion, you know, like I played Cypress. I didn't love it. I mean, I loved it, but I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. Right. You know, um, that's not to say that I'm like going to go to Compton every day and like, you know, like that's not my favorite (laughs) course. But for me, golf is very deeply rooted in the people that we play with. You know, I think, I think one of my favorite, um, like, like, like I try to think of it like the course is merely the stage and we, the golfers themselves, the foursome or the, whoever is on it is, is that's the narrative. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the story. And, um, I, I just got back from Ireland and I played old head with my parents and my brother, you know, now old head is, you know, it's a newer course. It's in the 1990s, I think. Um, I, I would prefer to have had this experience at La Hinch, right. <laughs> which I played, you know, and I had a, and I actually at La Hinch, I scored really well. I was like 78 or something. I had like, I was one under through seven or eight, and I had a wonderful experience there. But Old Head, I was with my parents, and we're walking on this incredibly scenic cliff with this historical, you know, you know, lineage back to back to Vikings climbing up the cliffs and the Titanic picking up its last passengers nearby, and this kind of visionary, crazy person who bought the land and planted palm trees. So it's it's not a it's not really a links course, and the grass is not. I don't even. It feels kind of sodded. You know, it feels very foreign. Right. But the experience of playing there with my parents and and the caddy we had was this kind of deeply spiritual guy who, you know, was probably walked out of golf in the kingdom. You know, a week before. You know, we're walking down this. 14th fairway or thir- I don't know whatever like, I might get the holes mixed up but we're walking down a fairway and he looks at me and he says you don't know it right now but in 20 years you'll remember this day wow and I f- started crying you really know I mean? and it wasn't it wasn't because it was windy like I literally was emotionally belted by this guy's statement because he was right like he wasn't and, he, and, I, and I know that he didn't just say this to everybody he said this to me because he you know, he doesn't know anything about me, but he knows that I'm having fun and I'm with my family. And, you know, golf is one of these, you know, each course you play is just a post-it note. You know what I mean? They're yep. all the same, basically, right. at the end of the day. You know, it's, and it's not like a hole-in-one is going to – you know, I had a hole-in-one at Rustic Canyon in L.A. Like, it was a pretty unremarkable day. I was actually in kind of a bad <laughs> mood. <laughs> you know what I mean? And here, like, I, I missed so many putts at Old Head. 
but it didn't matter. Right. It was about really deeply being, you know, with the group and, and deeply understanding something that went way beyond par or way beyond like wind direction or, or green speed. It was something it was something that I was not prepared for and I don't know if it'll ever be replicated in that way unless I have children and you know, they take up golf. But, right. Uh, no, I, I think. Yeah. That, so it's tough to say. It's not really a course, but that's the, the experience. It's probably yeah. the same answer. Well, so, but, you know, it's, I say this so much. I mean, I, I think your statement about the golf courses, I mean, we have, we have an obsession with golf courses right now. Have you played here? Have you played here? Have you seen this? Do you know Donald Ross? Do you know, you know, it's like, there, that's like a whole new narrative. I feel like that's really come around the last eight, nine, ten years is this obsession with checking off the boxes. But I'm with you. The experiences on certain golf courses with the right people is shoulders ahead of, of going and playing a top 20 golf course with three random guys. I mean, I played golf with a guy one time at Spyglass that was such a jerk. He gave me his card. I think he was an LACC member or Bel Air, somewhere Uh-oh. like that. And Uh-oh. he said, he gave me his card. Pants only. Yeah, he said, uh, he said, he goes, Call me if you come to LA. I'd love to host you. And I threw the card away when I walked off the golf course because it was. I didn't want to. Enjoy, I didn't want to spend five more hours with the guy. It was. It was brutal. So you know, I, I'm with you. I, I think that it's so important to experience moments with the right people on a golf course where, you know, like you said, you look out in the distance and you're going, "Is this my life right now? I can't believe it." So I yeah. want to ask one thing. You've finished season two, um, season three for Adventures in Golf. Is it in the works? Is it going to happen? Yeah, we're discussing it. I'm pretty excited about the possibilities. You know, we've learned so much from the first 20 episodes that we've produced. I think season three, we have some pretty wild ideas. And and this is kind of, you know, the the discussion that Scratch and I always have is like, I'm always like, let's push it. Like, let's, let's go, let's do the big one. You know what I mean? Let's, let's, let's go far because that's, what's interesting, you know, um, Compton and Portland are some highly ranked episodes, but they don't make up for the whole story, which is, you know, just the world of golf, you know? Um, but yeah, season three, I mean, uh, you know, people sometimes say, are you going to run out of episodes? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, but we're going to run out of everything. Right, <laughs> yeah, we're exactly. going to run out of oxygen eventually. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. Um, as long as there are new people playing golf, there'll be new ways it's being played. And I think like, you know, just because we've done the urban golf episode doesn't mean I can't go to Malmo, Sweden and do the urban golf episode there. Right. Um, because even, you know, the, the niche within the niche still changes as soon as you, as soon as you stamp your passport, you know? Um, so, but yeah, season three is going to be pretty rad. Uh, we're still kind of nailing down the production details, but from what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying, you know, we've done the other episodes, the other seasons in spurts, like we do three or four episodes on one trip and then another three or four episodes. I'm trying to line it up where we can do one around the world trip and do all 10 episodes, which would be potentially, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, fatal <laughs> <laughs> you, you you get you get to episode six and you throw in your golf clubs out of a boat on the, on the way to, on the way to siberia like yeah. i do not want these well um yeah. we, we've talked adventures of golf and i wanted to get to this before i let you go because this is really how i was kind of introduced to you was this be the ball documentary and it's been this this kind of looming project and i mean i'd see you at golf events and you'd be interviewing rory mcelroy or you know pat perez or Ernie L. I mean, you, you had all these interviews lined up, and I mean, the biggest names in all of golf, and I know that you've been working passionately, and I can only imagine how much content you, you had to cut down and, and work through, but I just wanted to know, like, give people just kind of a, a quick overview of the idea behind it, how you got going with it, and then when you think it's it's going to eventually come out. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I mentioned a little bit about kind of the beginning stages of it, but the earliest stage was basically I started to play golf. I found out that I loved it, and I saw that golf wasn't what I thought it was. And um, I read some books. I, 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 I found these interesting connections to the Eastern wisdom, you know, to, to Buddhism, basically. Um, golf in the Kingdom, uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance. You know, The Legend of Bagger Vance is based on the Bhagavad Gita, Um so strange. Uh, Zen Golf is a book written by a guy who coached VJ the year he won the Masters. Uh, kind of combines Zen Buddhism and, and golf in a way that kind of teaches you compassionate golf. Um, 
And even, you know, Bill Murray's quote in Caddyshack, you know, when he's caddied for the Dalai Lama, you know, all these connections were like making me think. And I thought, usually when I have a question, it's answered, right? Like I can find the answer in the world. But in this situation, there was really no one talking about it. There was, there was some articles written, but as a filmmaker, I thought, wow, what an opportunity here to explore this in a documentary. And over time, we developed, I developed this kind of um, thesis, which is that, okay, if golf is a spiritual game, would a meditation routine make you better at golf? Let's find out. And so we took, we did a real accredited experiment with the University of Southern California, and we got 50 golfers to sign up and commit to meditating 30 minutes a day, five days a week for three months. And basically we tracked all of their um, progress. You know, one of them was a web.com player, Brandon Hagee. Um, we had some, some 18-year-old uh, AJGA players who were looking to get into college that were, they weren't sure what was going to happen. We have a, a 18 or 20 handicap, like 65-year-old, and we just tracked everybody's progress. And as well, we, you know, kind of intertwined it with all these amazing interviews that we have with, you know, the greatest players and thinkers and coaches in this sport that we all love and revere. And so, you know, that that project has been, you know, my labor of love for a long time now. And as time goes by, it obviously changes. Um, you know, one the, the the real interesting part about it is that it is aimed at not just growing the game because that's kind of like I'm trying to sell you something. Right. It's aimed at growing the pleasure of golf, and and it it did that for me. And so, in a sense, if no one ever saw it, it would still be a success for me because it basically wrote itself in the sense that I grew to kind of, you know, you remember that kid's book, You'll Grow Into It? Remember yeah, that one? Yeah, yeah. Like, I grew into my own golf game making this movie. I became like a responsible, um, you know, fully accepting adult in my own golf game. And that is priceless because as the way I was going, trying to get better and better and better was going to lead me down like a frustrating dead end. And I would probably be the person that put down their clubs one day, having missed out on this like wonderful way of traveling the world and meeting people so yeah, it's it's it goes back you know you you mentioned and I, I mentioned this early on you said that you love the way scottish golfers approach golf and it's always match play and it's never a shot 78 it's you know i won two up i lost two down you know you have a beer after it's it's great and uh it, i do think that there is a little bit of a golf epidemic with this idea of a handicap and how we're all obsessed with what our number is what's your what, what's your what's your handicap people always ask me that Hey, what's your handicap? And I want to go, I mean, you know, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I could go out there today and shoot four under. I can shoot 10 over. I mean, I, you know, it's, that's, and maybe the <laughs> handicap helps, just helps put all that in an average, you know, kind of You algorithm. and I should get into a team play event. <laughs> we, we are so good. Well, I mean, goodness, I haven't seen you hit it. But, you know, I mean, I just think that, like, like you said, just kind of like learning who you are as a golfer and just yeah. accepting who you are as a golfer. Are you... Are you the guy that wants to go out there and have a great time? Are you the guy that wants to go out there and grind over every three-footer? Are you the guy that lives and dies by the rules of golf? Or are you a guy that doesn't really care if a guy moves his ball in the fairway? Because what's, what's, what's the, the interesting thing is for so long, two of the four examples there were frowned upon. And now, yeah. play golf the way you want to play golf. And that's what I'm so interested in with Be the Ball is I'm interested to hear how they kind of progress through this mentally, especially, as you mentioned, some of these unbelievable golfers you know, like a web.com player and these junior golfers that are going to play collegiate golf. I know that you have looked at, at late 2017, early 18 for a release date. Is that still a bit where you're kind of looking right now? Yeah, definitely. We're, um, you know, finishing up the crossing of the T's and the dotting of the I's, which, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time. The, the hardest thing for me is, uh, you know, it's, it's my passion project. It's not my money maker. So right. it's like I'm just I, I have to squeeze it in between other projects. But um, yeah, I mean it'll be done. It should be done in the next four to six months. And then and then the question is totally out of my control of the distribution factor. You know, does it go to Golf Channel? Does it go to Netflix? Stuff like that. But you know, I am very certain that you know once it is available, it will be widely known because. And I hope that doesn't come off in a way that's like, I have a thing. You know, it's not, I don't, I just, I just, I just responded to something. You know, right. I'm just doing what basically the universe was like, you should do this. So, 
I think it'll be widely known because the idea of the whole thing is to actually help you not swing better or score better, but to play better. And I know that golf fans have seen this already. And, you know, we went to this wonderful Seamus golf outing at Sand Valley and I showed it to the 10 or 15 people we were with. And they were all like, Oh, why didn't we watch this before we played golf? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like would, in it, though, would changed my really life. Wonderful. <laughs> could change my life. Um, you know, but, but it's, it's aimed at increasing the level of enjoyment that you have both in golf and life. So, I have a feeling like it's going to be really successful. I, I hope it is. I, I hope it's what we want. Um, and, uh, you know, so we'll see. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully, beginning of 2018 we'll be, we'll be watching it uh, on our devices. Well, it's been fun to, to follow you through all this stuff. I, I mean, I, I'm telling you when I say that I'm equally happy as jealous. I mean, I am. I, I love the stuff you do with this travel. I mean, I think you're just the perfect person for it, and it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed Adventures of Golf Season 2. I hope everybody – goes and checks it out. They're, they're 8, 10, 11 minutes long. It's great to do if you're at work and you just need a break. Trust me, you will enjoy it. If you listen to this podcast, for goodness sakes, you'll enjoy anything that Eric has done. Eric, I appreciate the time. And make sure you follow Eric on Instagram, at Eric Anders Lang. That's where he kind of posts all of his travel stuff, plus updates on, on Be The Ball as it gets closer and closer to coming out. Wherever it comes out, we'll be excited to see it. And if you go on Instagram, you'll be able to see my dog, which is, uh, he's a golf dog. He loves to play golf, and uh, he's actually better than me. (laughs) He's better at you at golf and Instagram. So those are are two things that the dog has on you. Well, Eric, I appreciate the time, man. I can't can't wait to, to catch up soon when we get to see each other down the road. Shane, thanks so much, man. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Well, that will do it for this week's Clubhouse. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you got to this part. Just a reminder, go to Ogio.com and check out their new 2018 Sierra stand bag. It is so light. Light as a feather. Feathers are light. This golf bag is light as well. It still has seven pockets. You can put everything you want in it. You can put your koozies, your golf balls, your gloves, your hats, your rain gear, everything you need and more in this bag, yet it is light enough to walk 18 holes and not feel tired or drained at all. If you use that offer code, the clubhouse at checkout you instantly save 20 percent on your order 20 percent off right away if you use that offer code check out everything they have at ogio.com sign up for that clubhouse newsletter trust me you like it and hopefully we will have an episode that will change your life next week hope you guys get out and play some golf this weekend make some birdies